0: Hey everyone! Welcome to Equal Time Soccer. We had some issues with connectivity. Glad you, glad you waited. Um, hopefully, some folks are able to tune in. We're going to be giving away a thirty-dollar Blackheart gift card. And for those who haven't been um, following Blackheart during COVID, they just reopened uh, to have curbside drag show uh, pickup for food and drinks. So it's gonna, it's gonna be great. I think. Mark saying just let me and you. All right, let's get let's get Annie in here. She should be joining shortly. Annie, how's it going?
1: Hey, I'm good. How are you? Sorry, I had trouble connecting to the
0: That's I apparently this is like the hot time for Instagram. Maybe we were like filling it up. Who knows? (laughs) So Annie, you we've talked before, but for those who haven't followed um, Annie's career before, she just came back from her second stint in Costa Rica. Um, but we, you know, I followed you because you are obviously a Minnesotan, but you you had a stellar career at SDSU, a, in your senior year, an All-West Region nominee, a two-time Defensive Player of the Year for the Summit League, a two-time All-Summit League first-team player, You've played for both the Fire and Mankato and WPSL. And of course, last but not least, the pride of Cottage Grove and Park High School. (laughs) So where you were Miss Minnesota Soccer finalist, Annie Williams, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk soccer. I know we all love it so (laughs) much.
0: It's been crazy. The last few chats I've done uh, with like former players or players who are done now or just whoever, anytime we reminisce about anything, I start having like all of these feelings. I'm just like so, so emotional, missing being able to watch. And so it's, yeah, every time it's just, uh, and it's funny because this isn't even soccer season really, you know, this isn't college soccer season at least, so (laughs) Uh, it's funny, but yeah, it's so it's so tough. You ended up having to come back, I think a little early from your stint in Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, talk about what your experience was like down there with COVID, cause all the, every, you know, even different places in, in the U.S. have been really different. Talk about what it was like to be there as COVID was going on.
1: Yeah, um, I would say it was definitely a different experience because, you know, I had my friends and my family back here in the U.S. And, you know, like the timing was different between what was happening in Costa Rica and what was happening in the US. And so it was one of those things to where I'm talking to my parents and they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, like we don't get to go to mass anymore, like we can't go to church. And I'm like, oh, I just got back from church, like stuff like that. Or they're like, oh, schools are being shut down. I'm like, oh, everything's still going on here. Um, And so it was just kind of on a different timeline of, like, what was going on, but I think, um, at least, you know, like, in Costa Rica, I think everybody did a really good job of, okay, like, uh, it's up to us to stay home, Um, and I think definitely a lot of the girls on my team took leadership in that, just kind of, like, putting that on their story, on their social media, texting Mm -hmm. in in the group, like, girls, just stay home, like, we all know we want to play soccer, or we all know we want to leave, and, do stuff like that Um, but you know it was just kind of this same mentality as here is we just have to stay inside and
0: well and and was there actual kind of lockdown you know stay home situations going on like did did you um, was there kind of formal orders issued or and and even if that was happening were you in like a house with other folks or what were you you know what was your living situation like
1: yeah um, it was kind of interesting um, but those actual stay at home orders didn't happen until we were gone Mm -hmm. Um, And so things were just kind of, it seemed like getting like, we're like, there were more cases, more cases, more cases, and at the beginning, at least me and my roommate, because I had two roommates at the time. um, We were just kind of like, Oh, we're probably going to keep playing, Um, you know, it might miss us like, or we're only gonna have to stay inside for two weeks. I think that's what so many people thought at the beginning of all of this, that okay, it's two weeks and and then it's done. Um, so that's what we were kind of thinking. Um, right. And so we were just, yeah, just staying inside like two weeks. And then as the situation started getting worse, um, we kind of had to make the decision like, okay, like, are we going to go home or are we going to, you know, wait out this quarantine here? Um, but at that point, we didn't know when the league was going to start up and we didn't right. know, Okay if we don't catch a flight back to the U.S. now, are are there going to be any more flights available? Because Costa Rica um, closed its borders to um, non-citizens. And so we didn't know, okay, like, since no one's coming in, like, no one's going to be coming out. And so it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. yeah, all kind of a mess at the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I'm assuming the season by now has been, like, officially canceled, right? But you've been home for a while. I mean, the the – Um, it's been interesting talking to other players who are overseas and how that happens. Like, you know, Haley Helverson, I think was in Puerto Rico, like maybe a similar type of setup where, you know, they're kind of waiting for it to hit. And I I don't know, it's just like so random to track, but you, this was your second time down in Costa Rica and we, your first stint there was as, as a D1 athletes, you don't usually get an opportunity to study abroad. So you did the thing I've heard of several people doing, which is you studied abroad your final semester because you were done with soccer. And then while you were there, you ended up playing for Saprissa, which is this huge, you know, really well known um, uh, Costa Rican club on, on on the men's side, at least, and I think for the women's side, all the stuff you were posting, it made it seem really legit, like all the, all the gear is so cool, and you're seeing all these pictures and stuff. But mm-hmm. talk about how you ended up going back there for um, kind of that full professional stint, because then you came back to the States and you were, you know, during that time, you were technically eligible for the draft. And you then you played in Mankato in the WPSL. Um, but talk about how this opportunity came together to go play in Costa Rica kind of as a full-fledged pro.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so like you talked about, the first time I went to Costa Rica, I was just training with Saprisa. I... Um, my former college coach Brock Thompson had a connection in Costa Rica and so that just happened to work out to where I could train with them um every day Mm -hmm. or every time they trained um and then I went home when my study abroad was finished um and I wanted I knew I wanted to keep playing soccer but I just didn't know where the opportunity was um and so like you said I played WPSL for Mankato I was just kind of like looking at what opportunities, you know, like where I would go from there, especially mm-hmm. because I had an extra semester of school. And so I actually had to go from studying abroad and I had to student teach my last semester. And so that kind of, it was kind of, I don't know, difficult to find opportunities when you know you have to go back to school for like three, four months and then you wanna go play. Um, and so basically I ended up signing with an agent Mm-hmm. Um, let's see in November. Mm-hmm. And so I signed with him and he was working for me, um, I actually went down there. He's based in, um, DC area. So I went down there to train a little bit and we were actually talking about, um, getting into Spain mm-hmm. and, or getting somewhere into Europe. And mm-hmm. we were looking at all the different possibilities and he's doing this work for me. Um, but during that time I get a message from my former coach from Cipresa. And she was like, hey, Annie, how would you like to come to come back and play for us? Um, and she gave me a really good offer. And it just, when I was practicing with them, it just felt so much like home. And it was so familiar. And I thought, you know, there's no better place to start than Saprissa, somewhere that I know um, for, like, a great team, a great, well-known organization. And mm-hmm. so at that point, I was like, okay. Like Spain can wait, Europe can wait. Like I want to go play for Saprissa.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I think the, you know, you, I think when we chatted before, maybe when we were just messaging a while back when I was checking in, because when COVID hit all these, you know, folks like you, who I chatted with them like, oh shit, like what's going to happen? You know, how is this going to impact people like you who do this kind of travel? And then, you know, especially like you said, the flight question, but I think we've been chatting and you mentioned, um, something about you playing holding midfield and that's what sticks in my brain because my so for those who haven't watched you play you know my mental image of you is as this kind of tall um big strong athletic outside back who uh you know really frankly is probably big enough to be playing kind of in the middle on the back line but you were you were athletic enough and mobile enough um to be sort of that outside shut down outside back but i also remember you know you had an exhibition against the U And I remember getting to watch you on the stadium side and it was you working that right wing and like so you could also play up forward. So a lot of your skill set it's not crazy to think that you would move to sort of like a holding mid um, position based on what your skills are but is is that where you ended up kind of getting did you get shoved in there or where did you end up playing this time around and what was the adjustment like on the field?
1: Um So I think we had some scrimmages and I think I played a little bit maybe holding midfield but I actually was playing at center back which was it's funny because that's where I played all in high school like all (laughs) growing up I played center back and then when I got to college I switched to outside back and Mm -hmm. so it was more of an adjustment than I thought like playing with Saprissa and playing in the in the center because your hips are at, it's just like different positioning with your hips. Um, you're looking for dif- different options in the middle and on the side. Um, right. And so I remember I came in and we were, I was just practicing with Saprissa and stuff. And then all of a sudden I started like practicing as a center back. And I was like, oh, like I didn't know if this was temporary or, you know, if I was going to be here be there for like, you know, just that was gonna be my position now. Um, so what I actually did is like, I go to YouTube. And I'm like, I, I literally just put in YouTube center back film. And I just like watch tape on the center backs because I think just like my body and my mind after playing four years at outside back, I was just so used to right. Um, yeah, just playing well, the, the way, like, an outside player was and just, like, dealing with the space yeah, uh, on the outside as opposed to the middle. And so, I really just kind of had to, like, backtrack and learn the basics of being, like, playing in the middle and playing as a center back. Um, right. but, you know, did I started you, to get the hang of it and then ended up having to go home. But I felt like I was getting the hang of it at the end. <laughs>
0: did you have, was it, was it, did you have, like, a center back partner who played with you most of the time? Like, were you able to lean on, you know, lean on her to be like, okay, how are we setting this line? And yeah, the the whole difference between having like both, you can see both up and across as an outside back, you just see everything, you know, like everything's in front of you. And then as a center back, you're like, oh, now I need to pivot, you know, from the middle. Did you have like a pair back there who was um, helping you kind of show you the ropes or was she also getting thrown into that center back role?
1: No, um, I actually luckily, I was playing with a veteran player. Um, She's played for Saprisa for a really long time. Um, She's a great player, a great leader, Um, we call her Latina. Um, And she was working with me in the back. Um, She also spoke some English too, or she speaks really well in really good English. Um, Yeah. And so she was helping me in the back, like with my positioning of okay, if I step here, you're dropping, if you step, I'll drop. Um, And so she did a really good job of just taking me under her wing and we kind of just took it in stride. Mm-hmm. Um, so.
0: Well, yeah. in the, I, I think the, um, the tough thing about that transition other than moving positions is, you know, when we talk like someone like you, who's gone and played in multiple different settings, but then you're in this whole new league, like learning the league and just like the type of play, the level of play, the norms, all that stuff is so, is so brand new. I mean, what, how would you describe um, the biggest adjustments you had to make, you know, going from you got, you all were a top summit league team. So like a top, a a good mid-major. So multiple NCAA tournament appearances, you know, winning the summit league, all that kind of stuff, you know, you've played with, you know, so you're a, you're, you know, a top capable division one player, but playing in a mid-major conference. So you have, some non-conference matches against kind of power five than those other ones. You played in the WPSL, which can be a little bit random because it's kind of a mix of all the way from D3 to D1. Mm-hmm. But then what was the, what was the level of play like? Like, was it, um, you know, were the struggles more on the physical side or more the technical side or the speed? Like, what was it like actually on the field?
1: I would say it was a huge reality check just for like my technical ability and my tactical ability. Um, Cause I think, for the most part here in the U S like our brand of soccer, we rely so much on our physicality, like our speed, our strength. um, And I think you go to other countries, other places, and it's almost a different brand of soccer. And so Mm -hmm. I think so many women, when I went to Costa Rica, like so many women are also like athletically gifted, um, but also like technically tactically gifted. super soccer smart super savvy um i think one thing that could just like describe it all to you was i remember in my first game i'm like so nervous i'm so excited and i go to i'm playing center back and i go to step to the ball um and this girl was on the ball and i was like super confident i was like okay like i'm faster than her i'm stronger than her like i can i know i can win the ball and i ran so hard and she took one, like, touch around me and just beat me forward, not with, like, speed, not with anything like that. But it was just, like, I think, like I said, like, I rely so much on my speed and my strength. And so I actually had to take the time to, like, okay, study the game, um, work on my touches, like, do all of that stuff. So I think it's just, like, a different brand.
0: But, but so yeah, that's great. Just getting completely juked, just, like, sidestepped. And you're yeah. you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna come in and hammer this girl and then just see ya, bye. Yeah,
1: it was definitely <laughs> a reality check.
0: <laughs> well, Annie, we we can't do an Instagram live without talking about your Instagram account for a little bit. You, <laughs> y- your account is like, you, see, if someone just like scrolled down, they would think you're like a pro surfer. Like the the entire <laughs> the entire scroll of content is you just. Chilling on the beach, living your best life. And then there's this one with a surfboard where you have like the long sleeve gear on. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, man, you would never have guessed this, like this woman came from brutal northern, like northern climate, cold climate, Minnesota, because you're just like, look right at home, just crushing it on the beach. Talk about that, that moving from, you know, your whole life in Minnesota and South Dakota, and then living in a place like Costa Rica, where obviously you had some connection to the Spanish language in order to study abroad there. I'm sure you chose it, you know, somewhat because of that, but talk Mm -hmm. about just the culture there and, and living in now two different stints kind of in that, in that city, especially now you've had, you know, you've actually kind of learned it. It probably feels kind of like home now. So Mm -hmm. talk about that, that journey as well, kind of just culturally.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, just coming from Minnesota and South Dakota, and then going for going to somewhere where that's like, there's really no winter, like there's definitely no snow. It was amazing. Like that part of it was definitely amazing. Costa Rica is a, such a beautiful country. Like I just oh, had an amazing experience there. And I think whenever we go and like live in a culture that's not our own, um, we just have to be open to everything like the good and the bad and the things that we're not used to and I think going in with an attitude like that helped me a lot um, because there's so many things that I love about Costa Rica and um, despite the differences between you know like living in the U.S. and I think um, yeah I just got to know like a lot more in a different way of life and especially um the first time I lived with the host family and the second time I'm around my team a ton and so I'm just like learning a different way of life and like you know like being friends with people who just live life differently it teaches you a lot about Mm -hmm. life and I don't know like that's all I can say I think
0: well and you well and you grew up in you know Cottage Grove is like a suburb exurb whatever like a a, a smallish um close kind of to the metro but a little bit far out you know like second third ring whatever you would call it and then in south dakota it's kind of like a college town right like it's a big <laughs> university town um like it's or it's a university town but not that giant of a metro area it was you know was the place you were in in Costa Rica was it um you know more urban than that did it feel you know was that experience different and then I mean what were some of the what were some of the craziest differences or biggest surprises for you just living in that environment and like you said too it's also your first time kind of living away from home in like a fully you know fully independent setup what were some of those kind of bigger surprises for you
1: mm-hmm. I think um when I first got there when I was studying abroad everything that I did was new. So it was just kind of like, all right, like you just got to survive. And like, when something new comes, like you have to learn it and you know, you like you won't get comfortable with it for like a week, two weeks. Um, I would say my biggest challenge was taking the bus because I, number one, I didn't know which bus to take. Like there were just so many different buses, like so many people travel by bus and everything. Um, San Jose is such a big city. And so Mm -hmm. I never knew which bus to take. And so like once I figured out like which bus to take, I didn't know how much the bus cost. And so I'm taking out my little coin purse and I'm like one, two, three, four. And cause like, it's like, you also have to get used to the money and like (laughs) compare it to like, okay, like how much is this? Like, what does this mean? Um, And so taking the buses was definitely a different experience. Gosh, I you remember. What's that?
0: My bro- when my twin brother and I lived in D.C., we had to learn. We're from like a tiny rural northern town. Went to school in a tiny western Minnesota rural area. When we went to D.C., same thing. Learning the bus, we get off like a mile too early or like a half mile too late. And it's July in D.C. and you have to <laughs> walk to walk to your job in your suit and tie in like 95 degree weather, even if it's like 7 a.m. So yeah, bus bus struggle is real, very real.
1: Yes yeah that was definitely i feel like the hardest part because you know like my teammates they were so helpful um with katie and i with everything else and so it was just like it was just kind of easier to do that stuff because they would tell us okay like this is what we're doing this is why we do it like this is why we're doing it this is how and stuff like that but when it came to like getting home like from practice (laughs) it was just kind of like okay like they can tell us, okay, this is what bus you take, this is how much you pay, but then we're alone on the bus and a couple of times, my roommate and I, we went past our house Mm -hmm. and like for about like 10 minutes past our house and we like pull it quick and we're like, we have to get out now. And then we end up walking like almost a mile back to our house and we're like, okay, next time write this down, like learn, we have to learn how to take the buses.
0: Right, were you, and and were you the only foreigner on that team or were you both you know was you and your roommate both foreigners I mean the 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 thing that I have found to be kind of a common thread for international clubs is uh, usually they either it's it's kind of black or white they either bring in foreign international players or they just have none so a lot of the times it's I rarely hear about a player being the one American or one international being somewhere because usually they either hit their cap which is you know, four or five, six, seven, whatever, Mm -hmm. or there's none. So I'm assuming there was a few others there, or were you the only one and all these, all these Costa Ricans just got (laughs) to try and coach you up like you're their baby sister.
1: I was not the only one. Um, There was actually another American. Her name is Katie Pingle. Um, She signed with the same agent that I signed. Um, One of the best soccer players I've ever played with. Um, And so she was there and we had, two well one roommate at the time but another one was coming um and they're both from Nicaragua um Um, one of them her name's Shayla and she plays on the Nicaraguan national team amazing player um but also didn't speak very much English and so it was definitely a fun experience living with those two because um I'm working on my spanish i'm learning my spanish um katie is also like more at the beginning level learning her spanish and so we just kind of had to learn to live together and Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah we had a question my brother asked actually did you have much interaction with the men's side because the you know saprisa like a lot of those big big clubs um you know internationally they add that women's side, you know, whenever a decade, two decades ago, but they're they're a long standing club. But a lot of the times the training environment can be pretty separate, but did you have much interaction with the men's side?
1: Um, when in the time that I was there, not a ton, I think we maybe saw a couple of men's players at the stadium and they were like, hey, and we we're like, hey, um, other than that, not much. I think, yeah. you know, if I would have spent more time there before we had to go home, like maybe a little bit more, but for the sure. most part, we have different training times. Like we train at five thirty in the morning. We do our own thing and stuff like that. So
0: five thirty AM, there you go. I think Saprisa might be best known to Minnesotans as the place that well, maybe it's known for this where Francisco Calvo came from, who played mm-hmm. for Minnesota United. And he had he had a pretty good run at Minnesota, but by the end was sort of also a butt of a few jokes. But I Saprisa is, I mean, a really top club overall. So I'm sure it was cool to just I mean, was the training environment how would you describe it? I mean, you were in a pretty a pretty good setup in college. I don't know if SDSU is like overly invested in and in giant rich brand new facilities, but I think they're a well respected program. But when you went there what was the adjustment like just cosmetically like training facilities staff support all that kind of stuff
1: yeah i think um it was i don't like you said like saprisa is like a great program very well known um all of their like facilities are well like taken care of um and so we had a practice like turf field and then a practice mm-hmm. grass field mm-hmm. and it was super cool. We had kind of like a cafeteria where we'd eat breakfast every morning after and they would just make us fresh food. And it was awesome. We had a weight room there where we would practice. Um, And so that was all just kind of like typical what I'm used to. Um, The stadium though is absolutely gorgeous. Amazing. The grass is beautiful. It's super well kept. it's just a super professional organization Mm -hmm. like they're always like willing to help the players like do you need anything what do you need how can i help Um, yeah Yeah. just great
0: that's awesome i well and we now we are going to go back in time we talked about this beforehand because i'm going to get pretty specific and so i i was glad you were willing to do this one thing um and we want to talk about recruiting one thing i wanted to start doing during this downtime where there's not games is trying to go in depth on certain issues and Um, One part about recruiting that I'm never really able to cover because players aren't necessarily always super comfortable to talk about it and coaches might talk to me but very off the record about this part of it. And that's the financial side of recruiting. So for those who don't follow um, the college game, D1 programs are allowed to offer up to 14 scholarship equivalents. So basically, you can chop those up into little slivers, however you want. And someone might just be getting books, you know, where you pay for someone's like cost of books and maybe like meals or whatever, um, but then up to 100%. And so even really good players at any program might be getting less than 100, even if it's like 95 or like 90 or 89 or 92 or whatever. And so it's a very specific, weird, I think, under discussed element, um, because it's just so personal and when I've talked to players before a lot of the times they say even very good friends on teams will not talk about necessarily what percentage scholarship they're on because it's a slippery slope it's like as soon as you start talking about it on a team everyone's like well Mm -hmm. who's getting what who's getting you know it like turns into whatever but um but for you I mean talk about that so that's a giant paragraph of information but for you Talk about when that recruiting process started, like how old were you because you were, you know, you were a well recognized player as a junior and senior, but were you also, you know, I, I obviously was not following you when you were back in high school, but were you, you know, did that happen really young at times now recruiting starts as young as oof, like, eighth, seventh, ninth, whatever. But when <laughs> did that recruiting start for you?
1: Uh, I have to be honest. Um my when I really started looking into colleges was at the end of my junior year of high school. And so I was actually pretty late in comparison to some of the girls in my class. Um, I actually grew up playing basketball and soccer both at a competitive level. And, you know, even when I was like in eighth ninth grade, I was I didn't know if I wanted to play basketball or if I wanted to play soccer. Um, And so I was really just Doing both, I was playing AAU basketball, like super competitive league, um, and I was also playing traveling soccer. Um, mm-hmm. But I was playing. Sorry, that was my phone. Um,
0: oh, I've, you're you're back now. But you... I was
1: playing. Perfect. Yeah, um, yeah traveling soccer good. for my community team, um, traveling team, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But. I was kind of playing for a team where we had great players on the team, um, Mm -hmm. but we didn't get the exposure that I think Mm -hmm. that you need now in order to be noticed early um, by college coaches. And I think Mm -hmm. I really was disillusioned about the process of, okay, how do I contact a coach or do I wait for them to contact me or how does this process work? Mm -hmm. And so I think, in my junior year, I realized, okay, I'm going all in, I wanna play soccer, um, mm-hmm. this is what I want. And so I had a couple of people tell me, I was very like ill-advised in some ways, but I had a couple of people tell me, okay, like, just wait, the college coaches will come to you. And so I was kind of waiting, I didn't really know what to do. Um, and then I started hearing of other girls in my grade who were committing and I was like, how, like, how'd you guys do that? Um, and so it was just kind of a process I had to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I actually started emailing coaches at the end of my junior year. I'm emailing a lot of, like, Division One coaches, probably. Like,
0: how, like, how, like, like 10, 20, 50? Like, how many?
1: 50, 60. Um, yeah. One day, my dad and I, we just sat at the computer. And first, we looked at Midwest, and then we looked for – other areas around that okay maybe I could see myself playing here and we're sending emails like we're sending 50 60 emails with my player resume with my film um stuff like that and we get like maybe like two three emails back and I was just shocked because I had no idea like what the process looked like or stuff like that um
0: was it and at that point when you're doing when it's just you and Tony hustling it like you and Tony Williams showed out like you guys just like crushing it at the kitchen table. Is it is it all D one at that point is or are you doing you know when you decided to really jump in and be like I'm doing soccer was it did you for sure say and I know I'm D one like I've played against other girls I you know I know where my level is or were you thinking I need options and so I'll dip down to some other some other programs.
1: Yeah, I was actually considering um, the only Divin 2 school I was considering was um, Bemidji State. Um, And I had come into contact. Huh?
0: Go Beavers. Go
1: Beavers. Um, But I had come into contact with um, the then assistant coach, Andy Jansen. um, And I had been talking with him for like maybe a year or two. And so I just loved their like the way the coaches did things, Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of respect for their program. And so in Mm -hmm. my mind, you know, I knew I wanted to play division one soccer. But Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like, this is if I go division two, it will be to Bemidji State and I won't have any regrets about it. But just from a competition standpoint, like, I knew that I wanted to be top level, whatever that meant. like.
0: Yeah. Well, and by the time I mean, by the time you're actually talking to programs like the three who responded or whatever, or even like (laughs) later, later on, I'm sure more programs talk to you just because you had another good run, you know, like, if your team is making the state tournament, that's actually usually kind of a default recruiting tool for a lot of schools, because it's just like so easy to visibilize good teams or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you're making, you know, you made at least one of the years, I think you made the final or the semi or something. So like, it's you know, if you're the runner up, I'm sure programs are talking to you, but is by the time programs are actually talking to you is, you know, how many were actually kind of specific enough and going back and forth enough with you where it actually got to an offer?
1: Uh, I want to say besides where I committed in Bemidji state only, only one. Yeah. Um, just because at that point in time, um, like so many teams, so many coaches, they, you know, like you have to set aside a certain right. amount of money for each class and yeah. you can't go over that because that's all the money that you have. And so I right. think at the time that I was emailing, I was maybe like the last person that was going to be added on the roster. And so right. um, for a couple of them, uh, with a couple coaches, they said, OK, you can walk on and depending on your performance, you can earn money. Right, um, and I considered that a little bit, um, but just from a financial standpoint, I had to like weigh my options, um, yeah. weigh the cost of the school, like yeah. what the cost of okay, like my academic scholarships can cover this much. Um,
0: right. And what were some? What were some of those walk on offers?
1: I one of them was Loyola Chicago, yeah, a private school. Um, yeah. Yeah. So pretty expensive there, um, and actually that was like. The school I wanted to go to. Um
0: right.
1: yeah. And so I just kind of laid it out, talked to one of my parents that year and we were like, okay, I right. know you can go here, but you're a future teacher and you're just gonna have a lot of loans to pay off. So you just kind of right. have to weigh it's like all right. the personal decision things. Well so
0: so South Dakota so you so South Dakota State, Bemidji State and then one other program, what was the other program that offered you? Did you say one other one also offered you or was it just just South Dakota and Bemidji? Mm -hmm. And by the time, by the time they're getting into like the, does, you know, is the process that they're really kind of building a relationship over time? Like if you were talking to Jim and at BSU or, or your coach at SDSU, is it that they're saying, we'd love to bring you in. And then you talk details later on the financials or does an offer when they're actually making you like an offer come with saying, Hey, you know, Annie, we'd love to have you come in and be a beaver. We'd love to have you come in and be a Jack and we can offer, you know, 50%. We can offer you 90%. We can offer you whatever. Does it, you know, is it, is it kind of a process or is the offer the offer?
1: Um, I think it's kind of a process. Uh, I think it depends like player to player. And the thing that I want to say about like recruiting and visits and stuff like that is that it's going to be different for everybody. Like there's every, like, you know so many people have had so many different experiences but for me since i was like considered so late in the recruiting process um at SCSU, i ended up going to the winter camp because they were like i want to see you play a little bit more and so right. i actually played in the camp and during that time during camp um i like visited the campus and everything like went to a basketball team with the players like <laughs> hung out with them um And at the end, like, our coach gave us one more tour. And then then we met in his office. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: when he decided, okay, like, we want this player, um, then we sat down. And he was really honest with me on, like, this is what we have for you. Um, You are, you know, like, going to be the last person that we're adding to this class. Um, Right. And, yeah, I want to say it was definitely – not what I expected because I think you know as athletes like wanting to play at the next level um right so many so many like young girls like women think that um it works the same way as maybe like a football program or like a basketball program to where Where an
0: where an offer is an offer
1: Mm -hmm. like yeah and that you know like so many people like if you go commit somewhere you know like you're getting a full ride for sure that's what that means um (laughs) But in my case, that was not at all what that meant. Um, They were generous with me, but, you know, like at the same time is not every program, not any program has the money to offer everybody who's going there a full ride. And I think that's what I had to realize is that, you know, like it's not necessarily about the money or how much they can offer you. It really depends on like, you know, the environment, the school, um, how much the coach is willing to invest in you as a player and like the belief that they have in you like that's mm-hmm. worth so much more than a scholarship. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I had such success at South Dakota State is because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't come in with a full ride or anything like that. But like when you're around a program that's like, OK, like you know like we you don't have to start at a full ride but we value you as a player and we value value your development like mm-hmm. that's like a game-changing program to
0: right me. well and you're I mean to, to put it bluntly what value they got out of you <laughs> by, by, the t- by the time you finish your career as like a two-time conference player of the year and mm-hmm. all region and you guys win the conference championship and all those things but it's um one and so since we talked about the D two program, I'll t- say too the cap for D two is nine point nine equivalents for scholarships. But especially in the NSIC, I think maybe one. I think and again this is all this is all like hearsay. I think one school in the NSIC funds full nine point nine scholarships, and it won't. It won't surprise anyone that I've heard it's Mankato. They they win a lot. (laughs) They have a very good program and they have, they invest in all their athletics. If you go down there, it's, it's for a D2 college, they have to be one of the best in the entire country in terms of facilities, investments, all that stuff. But -hmm. a lot of D2 schools don't, even though they're allowed 9.9, you know, the school doesn't give them 10 scholarships. They give them five or six or whatever they, um, so it's you know an even smaller than amount to work with, I guess both BSU and SDSU are state schools, both fairly affordable. Um, you kind of mentioned in there a little bit the other um, financial aid or academic scholarship piece that 's one piece I also want to talk about because if you get that academic scholarship, that does save then on the athletic side like let 's pretend you were offered a full scholarship, but then you also got you know some. a year academic, whatever, that does actually take out the cost of the athletic scholarship. I don't think people fully realize that. And I think Mm -hmm. that's how teams then stretch those dollars a little bit more. But for you, you know, when they're making those offers, are they making that offer knowing how much academic support you'll get beforehand? Or are they making the offer? And then any support you get after is kind of gravy, you know, like independent of the athletic offer?
1: Yes. The second one, I would say, (laughs) Um, for me, like when I sat down in the office, had my honest talk with my coach, they actually gave me a percentage of Mm -hmm. whatever that costs. And so Mm -hmm. it also depends on how expensive your program is, like, Mm -hmm. um, and other stuff like that. But they were like, "Okay, this percentage, that's what that's what we'll cover. That's what we'll pay for. Um, Right.
0: Well, because South Dakota, what's the, what's like the full cost of attendance at SDSU, like 17 grand, like 15, 20 grand, something like that?
1: Around 15,500. Yeah. And so it's a relatively, for university, it's relatively cheap. Um... And, Bemidji,
0: and Bemidji, I think is about that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, so it's like 15 grand is the full cost. And then was there a significant difference in the offers? Like what was the... It, you can either say the percentages if you're game to, or like, was there a significant difference in the offers?
1: Um, There was a significant um difference just like in mm-hmm. the amount of like, you know, percentage that they offered mm-hmm. me. Um mm-hmm. But at that point, I kind of had it into my plan to where, okay, I wasn't going to choose based off money because mm-hmm. I had already made a financial decision about, you know, walking on somewhere. And I had two, schools that were relatively without scholarship the same amount of money um and so i basically made a decision to where like okay i'm gonna be blind to money and like what they offer me and i really have to find a program that's you know like obviously good for my growth in soccer but good for my academic growth um you know and the just team environment that's what i kind of like made my decision on um and did
0: you care i mean you like you're a you're a really nice person. So but you should be, you you should give yourself permission to say yes to this question. Did, did like going D1 and like being a D1 player matter? Because I mean, it's, you know, you talk to some of these, the same thing happens within D1 where it's like someone decides they have to go power five. And it's just like, I've spent so many years I, if I'm not power five, you know, I, I consider myself like not meeting my goal or whatever it is. Um, But for you, like, especially because your two schools you were down to were D1 and D2, even though they're both, frankly, really well-respected soccer programs on Mm -hmm. the field for you, did like, was that part of it too? Thinking, oh, I I'm either going to be a D2 player or be a D1 player. Like, did that factor in?
1: Absolutely. I would say I'm. (laughs) like super competitive like I always wanted to see like how far that I could go just like with soccer with everything and you know like I told myself because I never really knew like what my how my ability would stack up with other players on the team or in the conference you know I didn't really do much research into that but I always told myself like if I have the opportunity like I would rather be you know the worst player on right like at the higher level than be one of the best players like at a lower level and so just having that opportunity i was like i i have to like i have to Mm -hmm. you know see if Mm -hmm. i can do it and so
0: i think i mean i think a lot of players think that way i think it's easy for someone like me that played low level division three to be to think like why wouldn't you just if you're the last player on the bench at the U, why wouldn't you just transfer to division two school and just crush it? Why wouldn't you just be a superstar at D2? And it's easy for me to say that because I've never had any of it. Like it's all, it's all, it's all fairy tales to someone like me. But for you, if you like, like you said, you have the actual shot like right in front of you to be in a D1 program. Mm-hmm. And so then, then you end up wanting to take it. Well, and I mean, when you, uh, So when you made that call, were you still, did you seriously consider any of those walk-on options too? Or were you just kind of like, these are the two real opportunities and I, now it's down to SDSU and that's where I'm going.
1: Yeah, I made it, like the other walk-on opportunities, I just like, you know, made my decisions there, um, talked Mm -hmm. about it with my parents and then, you know, like I made it into, okay, like it's either South Dakota State or State and then I just kind of like made my decision from there. mm Mm-hmm
0: were there what were the other walk on opportunities other than expensive private Loyola Chicago?
1: Mm, gosh, I would have to think. <laughs> Honestly, it was just like something that maybe I would thought of, like for a second, or like, right. you know, the coach had emailed me back and, be, and been like, Hey, like, we don't have any money for you. But like, we can like, you know, go from there. Right. So they were just kind of things that I would like set out of my sight. And, like, it okay, never okay. felt
0: It never felt very real no
1: not at
0: all right well that was i mean i appreciate you going in depth that was also probably like six years ago so i appreciate you <laughs> opening up your, your memory back then but it's um you know i just think it's an interesting process and i think you know at equal time i end up covering the gophers a lot and i cover d1 a lot and so i think one thing that's really interesting is to describe kind of that nuance between those layers you know i think um you know, the U of M is just Minnesota's only D1 school and that's why we cover them. But I think the, the kind of float between those levels and even the parts of D1 and parts of D2 and then D3 are really interesting. Cause I think anyone you talk to says pretty much the same thing. Like the very best D2 players could obviously survive and maybe even do well in D1 and, you know, and, and vice versa for all the different levels. So it's interesting to think about how you, you know, you landed there and you're this late signee, and then you're an absolute, like, great top performer. And it's, and you know, part of it goes back to that process of you just starting late. So that's funny. But for I mean, for your situation, now you're, you're back home, obviously, and all of us are sort of waiting to see what will even happen with soccer again. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you know, you spoke in such glowing terms about your time at Saprisa. Um, how are you thinking about, you know, you also mentioned you have to do your student teaching. And eventually, that's something you'll probably end up doing That's your degree. Um, but how are you thinking about, you know, the next steps in your soccer career in terms of is it just a pure wait and see? Or do you know you want to play again, but you have to wait and see where that would be? Or how are you thinking about that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I actually um, finished my student teaching this past fall. And so mm-hmm. that was like the thing holding me up from like fall. Um, yeah. And... Sorry. Sorry. Am I back now?
0: Yeah, you're back. Okay. You finished your student okay. teaching in the fall. So that's done. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, basically right now, I'm definitely going to keep playing soccer. No doubt about that. Um, I've been training a lot here in Minnesota, doing what I can, doing, like, going to the field, doing my stuff. I still love it. I'm, like, itching to play in a game again. I absolutely cannot wait. Um, But as for specifically what the future holds, I'm not sure where I'll be. Um, Not sure. Like At all, you know, we're just kind of waiting to see like the development of soccer and Mm -hmm. where that goes because, you know, it's really a big question mark and all that like we as players can control is like what we do in this time between like pre-soccer and then like actually league starting up. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to focus on right now is just, you know, doing that technical training that I really need. Um, Right. And doing the stuff that's going to get me like, okay, not just professional, but like, you know, like, keep going, like next level. I'm always like that person who's like, let's see how good I can get. Like, you know. Um, Well, I think,
0: I mean, your mentality, your mentality, having talked to a lot of um, different players who either thought about trying to go pro and then it's, it's just like not what they thought and they end up not doing it or the ones who do well. Um, your mentality is absolutely the one necessary to I think do well in this weird, um, Mm -hmm. bizarre world of like professional women's soccer, because it's, um, you're never going to get like lucrative money out of it, you can make, like, depending on the situation, you can make a living and certainly, um, like do okay during those playing months, Mm -hmm. but it's, you have to want to do it because it's something you want to do, you know, it has that the payoff has to be that you love playing. And so it's your mindset is absolutely perfect for surviving in that situation, because you have to have a little bit of grit, you have to have that competitive fire, you know, you have to want to keep doing it. Um, We have two questions that Mark put in here that are both rivalry based. So get your rivalry hat on. One is back in your um, SDSU time, who was kind of your biggest, I sort of group all the Dakota schools together because they're all like they all siphon off Minnesotans like you and and take away all of our all of our talent in in women's <laughs> soccer. Who is who is your biggest Dakota rival over there?
1: My goodness, I would have to say um, North Dakota State.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think you know, like they're another great program. Um, I played with a lot of girls who are in my class or like younger. Um, I played with a lot of them, like you know, at MTA my senior year and stuff like that. And it was always a good battle when we played them. Like sometimes we won, sometimes we lost, but the competitiveness was like always there and it was always like a good match um, between did us. It get,
0: did it get scrappy? Like did it get physical? What was it like? I don't think I've seen one of those matches. Like did it, did it get, did it get iffy? Did there Was there elbows? Were there knees and cleats involved?
1: Always. I think yeah. whenever you're playing in the Summit League, you can always expect a, like games like that. I think that's always. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, well and down and down in Costa Rica, talk about there, because you're kind of at you know, you're at one of the big dog clubs. I mean, for you down there, who were like the games that people really got up for?
1: Um, I think um I had heard of them, um, but like not experienced them yet. I think mm-hmm. one of like Caprisa's and in the men's too, like mm-hmm. one of their um biggest rivals is La Liga. Mm-hmm. Um and so you know like we heard about that um because in the women's um in the women's league like different teams are like developing new Mm -hmm. teams are being formed i think you know like more teams are investing in their women's side and so it's starting to get like more competitive in the league which is what i've been hearing is that you know like saprisa the women had you know like always been like amazing had great players stuff like that but
0: now you're getting
1: like more teams who you know are getting invested in more and who can pay for different players Um and so right. players you know like that originally played for Saprisa are going to play for other clubs um mm-hmm. because they're getting offered and um they're taking them and so I think this year would have been super interesting to see because I think mm-hmm. kind of like all over in the world like little Mm -hmm. by little, like people are starting to invest in women's soccer and to see the value in women's Mm -hmm. soccer. Um, And it was that was definitely apparent apparent in um, Costa Rica with the women's league. So Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it would be great. I mean, you're that example is such a good reason why something like, uh, you know, the CONCACAF Champions League exists on the men's side. And you know, people like Jen Cooper and really established women's soccer writers constantly talk about what it would mean to actually have something like that. Or even um, just because there's so many of these countries where the national team setups have, have been getting so competitive that the U.S. frequently has competitive matches in Kaka Cap now. You know, Costa Rica is one of them, where they just they are a very competitive program now for the national team. And it would be great if then, like, other fans, like North American fans, could get exposed to, you know, if Saprisa could come play, like, the North Carolina Courage or the Red Stars or whoever, imagine how cool that would be, like, how nuts that would be, and just the exposure and the the culture exchange, but also just you know, fans in Costa Rica can watch their team playing in the States or vice versa. That's just, that's awesome. Also, you know, if teams had to go play down in these, down in Costa Rica, like in a stadium in, you know, at Saprissa, it would like, just like the pressure of that would be mm-hmm. amazing. So I, I love hearing about your experience, um, hopefully, you know, we're, I'm glad you're training on your own. And I'm sure it's a very bizarre time for your soccer development, having to be <laughs> solo the whole time. Um, but you've been super generous with your time Folks should follow follow Annie she's she's great you've always been so generous to to share your experience with us so really appreciate it and good luck in whatever chapter whichever chapter pops up
1: next Yeah, thank you so much I just want to say thank you for this interview and thanks for your voice in women's soccer think you know we're building and you're a part of it so thank you
0: yeah. thanks Annie stay stay safe and uh, keep crushing it down in Cottage Grove.